Yo, what's up, everyone? It's Josh Tongo here, and I'm excited about today's guest. His name is Jurgen Ziva, and Jurgen Ziva has spent over 40 years documenting his out of body experiences and has discovered a multi dimensional universe which he could step into in full waking consciousness, providing a narrative which is destined to revolutionize old concepts and perspectives. And he's the author of several books, such as The Multi Dimensional Man. The 10 Minute Moment and Vistas of Infinity. So, Jurgen, it's good to have you on the show, man. Hi, Joshua. Nice to speak to you. Awesome, awesome. You know, so tell us a little bit about yourself, if you can. You know, what, what was your life like and your beliefs like before, you know, your, your what we would call an out of body experience? Oh, that's a good question. It's going back a very, very long way. <laughs> okay. Because it started really after I, I started my. Um, uh, art training after I left the army. Oh, that's right. You're an artist too. Sorry. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. He's also、yes. an artist. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. I joined art school and that was in the late 60s,、yeah. early 70s.、Uh, at that time, there was a new type of awakening, which is remembered as a hippie movement. Yeah. It was very much like it is now, people taking an interest in spirituality, but In the process, of course, there was also a tremendous social and political upheaval at the same time taking place. So I'm part of this sort of first generation of people who、uh, took an interest in alternative living, in spirituality, in alternative social thinking. And, and of course,、uh, my generation now, they're in their 60s, 70s now. And, and we are still sort of trying to find our way, really.、Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> but,、uh, but yes, I had the first out of body experience when I was、uh, 25. And that was a, as a result of very intensive、um, meditation, really. Okay. Yeah, just tell us more about that. So, what exactly happened? In that experience? Well, at the time, I didn't really know much about spirituality. You know, only what we heard.、Uh, of course, I, I read a few books.、Uh, the first book on spirituality was by、uh, somebody called uh, Burton. Um, uh, I can't even remember his name, it's such a long time ago. <laughs>、uh, <laughs> but it sort of opened my way up. But then you met a whole bunch of people who were taking. LSD and things and drugs, and that was a totally new thing. It wasn't even illegal at the time.、Uh, it was, you know, at the time where Aldous Huxley and at art school people were exploring states of consciousness in a completely new way.、Uh, coming from an artistic background, I was interested in the surrealist. Uh, people like、uh, Salvador Dali, Max Ernst,、uh, Aragon, all these sort of Type of surrealist of the 20s. And, and of course, some of the people like Aldous Huxley, they wrote books about the doors of perception and the easiest way to find your way to an altered state of consciousness was simply to take a tablet.、Right. And, <laughs> and of course, that created a lot of questions. And the result of that was that in the end, you had just had to find a more Permanent way into your deeper states of consciousness, which inevitably meant you had to do the hard work, which meant meditation.、Yeah. This was taking up on 
I, I, I took this very seriously because by that time I started reading books, uh, Aurobindo, uh, by Aurobindo, Krishnamurti, all these Eastern philosophers who became very prevalent, prevalent in, in the West. And, um, and uh, I just followed suit by, by starting a regular, uh, you know, regular meditation, starting off this transcendental meditation. And then uh, this went on for, for about three years. Um, every day, you know, an hour or so I meditated, but nothing much happened. Um, <laughs> Right. <laughs> because uh, not not something I could see anyway. Sure, sure. So there, there came there came a period, however, where I did get to some very deep levels, which resulted in uh, touching on some shadowy areas, which revealed themselves in uncertainty, anxiety, negative feelings, things like that. They all came to the surface. And because I was a student at the time, I, I painted a lot. And um, I have to say, my, my original training as an artist was inspired by a chap called Kandinsky, who was also the father of modern art. And he was a Bauhaus teacher. And, um, and he was also a theosophist. So when I first read his book, uh, about the spiritual in art, I was very, very inspired. That was before I took an interest in anything spiritual. Mm. So I went to to and went to Hamburg to, of course, Kandinsky was dead at the time. But I went to Hamburg to to seek out his last surviving pupil, which was um, a teacher there who taught. And against all expectations, I was accepted and became. Um, a follower of Kandinsky because this man gave beautiful lectures on Kandinsky and so that opened an avenue into um, into the spiritual aspect of abstract art. Now the thing was, uh, my teacher, he didn't really think I was very good at abstract art. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, he was very sort of critical of me and he suggested I should seek out another um, another teacher uh, who was a chap called Rudolf Hausner who came from the Vienna school and it was a magic realism. Now these guys painted realistic but they probed very much into the subconscious as well but the painting style was um, surreal you know. So, so I started I started painting uh, in, a, in a realistic style and that gave me a perfect opportunity to to allow the demons I started touching on to come to the surface surface and onto the canvas now that had repercussions because at that time I was meditating very very intensively and and in order to deal with what was going on inside me, I started painting a picture of demons. Uh, in the center of it, I left a blank space. But one night when I uh, was meditating, I suddenly heard a mighty crash. And uh, the painting I had been painting on actually uh, was toppled over. And 
an ashtray at the time was flung across a room. So I was very spooked by the experience because my, my room was next door to my studio. And as I got into the room, my first, first thought was it was a wind, but the window closed, you know, and there was obviously something very strange going on. And at the same time, I noticed I became very scared. You know, it was certainly something that I had experienced before. So I then decided meditation was not really for me, and I, I, get, I, get, I decided to give it all up. So I didn't want to get it buried. I sure. knew nothing, or understood nothing. Sure. I mean, did you have a, sorry to interrupt, did you have a, like a religious background at all? And no, in fact, I mean, my father, he was an atheist. And okay. my mother, she was a she was a Christian, the Syrian Christian, but my my background wasn't particularly spiritual because of the differences in my parents. Really, sure. it, it meant very little to me. I went to Sunday school, but I couldn't relate at all to to any of them. Really, <laughs> uh -huh. much much, you know, when I had my own spiritual experiences. Sure. So yes, I mean this this was interesting because. I stopped uh, meditating for about six months and, and not had anything to do with it until one day out of the blue um, I was sitting having breakfast when I was uh, suddenly just about to bite in my sandwich when I suddenly couldn't relate to my hands anymore. I suddenly experienced a total dissociation to my body, to my hands. And before I knew what was taking place, I, I had an out-of-body experience, which was nothing which can easily be described, because not only did I lose uh, touch with my physical self, but I also lost touch with the physical reality around me. And what happened, I was suddenly uh, surrounded by an incredibly bright light, and and my surrounding did, did literally vanished into a, a state of of whiteness, of clarity. Okay, and and this, the first thing that came into my mind was as if somebody said or something said, "There you are, you know, there you are. Where have you been?" And that was the first time um, I had that. That was a proper, real awakening. What I would call an awakening because that was the first time that when I realized that I'm not who I thought I was, you know, this identification of me being an artist, doing this, you know, having certain things. I suddenly had contact with my with my true self. And mm. the true self, the way I experienced, was made out of a state of absolute clarity. You know, there was no, there were no attributes attached to it. There was nothing that could be said about it. It was a clarity which had an incredible neutrality. You know, I couldn't say anything about it. And, and of course, with this experience came an intense ecstasy, you know, and it increased, and it increased the moment I became aware of what was going on. It, it, doubled, it became more and more until, you know, I, I stood in this incredible clarity. I don't know how long this lasted, but um, when I slumped back into my body, um, 
I was totally traumatized in a way. Mm. I was shaken, you know, I was crying, you know. I couldn't bring the two things together in any coherent way. But, but what happened for the next three weeks, I, I had lost total track of my identity, of myself. And instead what happened was I was walking around uh, looking at the world and finding that whatever I looked at was simply who I was. There was no such thing as an outside world anymore. And, and, with, and, and with that, of course, came an, an incredible feeling of contentment, of peace. You know, there was no duality, there was nothing against it. Uh, I, I was like, uh, I couldn't talk to anybody, I couldn't say anything. I went to art school as normal, but everything was new to me, you know, as if I had landed from another planet and seeing things completely as if the first time, you know. So, so that, of course, didn't last. Uh, it, I, I gradually resorted back to my, my old sort of, uh, you know, narrow self, my old selfish self, and gradually all the traces of this evaporated. But one thing that never changed was that I knew that what I thought I was wasn't really me, you know. And the other thing that changed after that um, was that I seemed to have acquired a, a silent companion. There was an aspect of me which said, uh, I am here, I'm with you, but it's not who you think I, I am, you know. It was something that, like a presence, but it hadn't, didn't have a personality. It was just, a, I would call it an aspect of higher awareness. You know, I couldn't name. If, if I had been religious or Christian, I may have even said, yes, there's an angel sort of walking mm. beside, you know. Right. But I was, I, I had no religious background, so I saw, I called in a, an aspect of awareness. Now, this thing, of course, from then on, gradually, I found I had, I had a very distinct out-of-body experience a few months later after this. And then after that, I became aware that I definitely wasn't just a physical entity. I, I was something completely different, more than what I thought I was. And then from then on, I started having regular experiences of uh, dissociating from my body. And I had out-of-body experiences. Because they were so unique and so new, um, I started keeping a diary of these things. And then finally, I, I, I tried to explain it to people, but I couldn't at that time. You have to bear in mind that it was in the 70s. Sure, yeah. 70s. It was really early days. There wasn't even much written about it, you know. So, so if I tried to explain it to people, they just said, oh, yeah, that's Jürgen. He's got a vivid imagination. <laughs> and, and he was he's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, he's a bit crazy, but he's an artist. You know, so <laughs> yeah. he, he can get away with it, you know. So, so I, I tried not to talk about it. So I kept it all to myself, except for my diaries, which I kept. And and then only in two thousand eight, you know, when when 
my daughter discovered these diaries asking me what it was, I explained to her, and she, she asked, can I read it? And I said, yes, uh, of course. But she said, oh, it's pointless. You, I can't read your writing. Why don't you type it all out? You know, so I did. And that's when I started uh, taking an interest in it again, you know, because after I had an experience, the moment I put it in my diary, I sort of forgot about it. When I started reading it, after 35 years, I, I found out that uh, there was a co consistent and coherent teaching, inner teaching going on while I was out of And so the, the whole thing resulted, if I added all together, hundreds of hours I spent in these out-of-body states. Right, right. So it was only after, after I published the first book, um, you know, that things started become real in a way, you know, because then I found other people took an interest in it. And and so it all started from there. Really. So, I mean, even when you, like that incident, or the first incident, when you were eating the sandwich, like, was that, did you interpret that as an out-of-body experience, or you just had no idea what that was? Like, right when it happened, like, what was your thoughts about it? I didn't have thoughts really, that was the whole point. I just had an awareness of of who I was. Right, or afterwards, I, had, I mean, it was, like after it the was, incident it was, itself. Yeah, it was like a whole homecoming. That's sure. the best way okay. it's going so after, Afterwards, I, I knew, it was almost like, from then on I knew, although I didn't have the experience, but from then on I knew where I had to find myself, who I was without actually experiencing it, you know. So the out-of-body experiences simply were like a training to teach me that I was more than my physical body. And in the process, I also discovered, hence the title of my first book, Multidimensional Man, that the universe consisted of so much more than just the physical world. Right, right. And I, and I love that about your work, Jürgen. Um, just like you, you have this take of, like when I've um, read some of your material, seen some of your posts, like it's 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 kind of different from some of the um, like near-death stuff. Not that it's necessarily contradictory, but I like there are certain aspects that you tackle of the, the non-physical and the physical realities aside from um, being here on, on this physical plane, you know, and like how you kind of go at it like from the perspective of a reporter, where after like 40 years of documenting, you, you kind of see how there's this coherence going on. Like It's kind of like a scientific study. Like, hey, there, there's possibly some of these truths that kind of, you know, um, can hold true in, in, in many of these different planes of reality. You know what I'm saying? And that's what I love about your work is how you're just kind of reporting what you're, what you're seeing and the consistency of certain... Yeah, just certain experiences that you're having, I found it really fascinating. And I saw when I, you know, read your book for the first time, I was like, dude, this, this is amazing stuff. And the cool thing, people don't know this about you, I think, um, where you, you're also, you do like computer graphics, like 3D stuff. Yes, is that how you describe right. it? Like even of some of the, the experiences that you've had um, out of the body. And like, I, I can't necessarily say that I had the exact, I was at the exact place. But I remember when I saw something that you created like a 3d version of this one uh place that you've been to i was like 
hey, that place looks familiar because <laughs> that seems like somewhere where I've been to. Now, I don't know if it was, but it did look yes. like it, it did seem like a place that I went to. And I mean, that's where I, I think there's kind of this, uh, you know, it's kind of cohesive in that sense. We're like, OK, you saw this and I saw something very similar. There, there might be something to like that particular place objectively. You know, it's not just necessarily in just your mind or in my mind, but there's an objectivity to it. Um, at least that's how yes. I see it. And that's why I just love your work and the fact that you are an artist, that you're able to kind of put it in visual form for us to see it and not just read it. So you guys, you got to check out his his channel. I mean, it's it's fascinating stuff, you know. I mean, just kind of getting into this whole topic of these different realities. Uh, my audience is a very mixed group because of my journey. Um, and as you know, I, I did come from like a religious background. Um, but since I started kind of questioning stuff throughout the years, I started to kind of attract um, certain people who are kind of not into religion. And, you know, they're more but they're they're more skeptical, though. You know, so some of them are even surprised that I'm getting into mm -hmm. some of these kinds of things like, all right, Josh, that's good. You got away from the religious stuff. But now you're kind of getting into this weird, you know, paranormal nonsense. You know, <laughs> But since a lot of them are skeptical and I respect I respect where they're at. Um, I couldn't deny my experiences, Jurgen, and that's the beautiful part. Is like you had this experience, you know, back in the seventies. Yeah. That, like, hey, it just happened. <laughs> you weren't even expecting it, and just like me, I've had experiences where they just, it, in in a sense, happened. You know, where I didn't expect it either, and it's hard for people to see that our experiences really matter. You know, and shape the way we we interpret things. Mm. What you said earlier about reporting. I feel that's the only thing really I can do because, um, and I'm, I'm lucky enough that I can say things also with pictures. And what I try to do because the universe we live in is, is infinite. You know, this, you can only ever bring a tiny fraction across. So what I try to do is um, get more a feeling across and an atmosphere in my pictures because it's so infinite you know and in my reporting I really feel that's all I can do because I couldn't even begin to put this into some kind of framework where I could say oh well this is it you know because sure. reality is so infinite you know so so reporting is a way because then people can make up their own minds and the thing is, the more people report, of course, the bigger the picture we can draw from it. I had people, I know people who had out-of-body experiences, and they never really managed to leave their house or their immediate environment. Right. Uh, because, because there are so many things happening just in their immediate environment and what's happening there that is almost impossible for them to move beyond that there's i uh, i tended to right from the beginning to uh, try to burst all the boundaries of exploration and i think that that came from very early on in my childhood i remember i had a lot of lucid dreams as a child i was forever flying through space visiting other planets and so on so i'm hugely fascinated to to break the boundaries of our physical environment and with um spiritual traveling or out of body experience the 
the borders become limitless. You know, there are no borders. So very early on, I met in my astral travels, I met a, a Chinese sage, I would call him, uh, who actually trained me then to transcend uh, the, the astral states of consciousness or the immediate out-of-body stage which most people uh, visit when they have an out-of-body experience. Now this guy then trained me to, to go beyond the ego identification. And in my, in my first book I tried to give him a glimpse of what these areas of consciousness consist of, you know, where thoughts become uh, where thoughts become um, tangible objects, you know, where, where sound manifests in color right. and in shape, you know, and, uh, and color has a sound and so on. There's a synesthesia taking place. A world opens up which is completely, completely different to, to what we normally can experience during an out-of-body travel. And this, of course, is an area where there is very little, where very little has been written about it, you know. Right, right. So I'm trying to, trying to explore more, go beyond it. But of course, by doing so, it becomes also increasingly difficult to to describe it with words, you know. And and that's um, that's an area where things become so incredibly beautiful and extravagant and that's where we touch upon the concept of coming home mm. you know the home to our true self right because because what we experience here on this level is is just a pale reflection of our true uh, nature you know and and the higher we go inwards the more we go inwards and the more we expand our boundaries and our consciousness, the more profound, the more profuse, the richer, the greater we become, you know, until we, we reach a level where, which can only be described as the sum total of everything, of the whole of creation, you know, and that's what has been described by people that experience it as, as cosmic consciousness. Right, right. You know, there's, there's a lot of people out there who aren't sure or they don't even want to think about uh, what happens to them after they die. So, you know, even just us, you know, uh, before we get into the whole idea of different dimensions and realities, I know to some people in my audience that that's kind of like far-fetched for them. Like, come on, <laughs> you know, like, because uh, yes. they're skeptical it's people, <laughs> you know. And so, but so for them, this life is it, you know, because they're all about the now, um, you know, because now is all that matters, you know, so... So if it's true, yes. you know, that what you're talking about um, of these different dimensions, these different realities, you know, why do you think knowing what happens after death is important? Although, yeah, we do believe that the now is important, but the fact that you also believe that knowing what happens after death is important as well. Why is that? Yes, but I think, first of all, I have to say the now actually is the most important thing in life, the present sure. moment. Quite mm -hmm. right to pay attention to it because this is where we find all our problems and all our solutions. But what happens was that but what what we don't 
readily accept is that we only see a very, very tiny fraction of the greater reality. And uh, that we behave in our everyday life as if we knew everything, but we are mostly guided by things which we don't see, which we don't have a knowledge of. And these these things which guide our life and our destiny, they happen in our subconscious. They happen on another dimensional level. And it is these levels which determine our happiness. And what happens when we die and strip ourselves of the uh, physical body, we actually then are exposed to the subconscious forces, to the invisible forces, in a blast which um, we, we would never expect. So instead of then um, seeing ourselves uh, in a physical world, we, we, we still see a physical reality around ourselves, but there's so much more to it, you know. So instead of, for example, let's say we had certain habits or certain fears or certain attitudes. These attitudes and these habits and these fears, they also become part of our external environment, mm. you know. So let's say we are on a very negative trip. We are very controversial, very abrasive to people, you know, very uh, pay very little attention to people and, and only think about ourselves then we may find ourselves when we die in an environment which is rather bleak, rather dark, and rather confusing, and we don't know what has happened to us, you know. And that's why it is important to, to realize that we are more than what we think we are. And the thing is, of course, the one thing I noticed when I had out-of-body experiences, there is a level of reality which is so similar to the physical level, it looks and feels and is exactly like the physical level that most people who die, they have no idea that they actually have died. Most right. people, I would say majority of people don't know that unless they had, uh, you know, a little bit of previous knowledge. Of course, some things, some things we are taught at church or it's, you know, for religion, thinking, okay, there's uh, when we die, there are angels picking us yeah. up and take us to God and things like that. Now, of course, that does not happen, you know, um, and uh, uh, you know they they never may come across this because it was just an idea, a picture that has been perpetuated, you know, and there's very little um, little fact associated to it. So it is much more likely than when people die, they find that nothing has actually changed. They find themselves in this environment which it feels exactly like this one, where you have buses, shops, supermarkets, everything, and a lot of people running around in it who are, some of them are familiar, some of them are simply in a dream, you know, some of them have died, and a lot of activity that is taking place is an unconscious activity. Now, when when this happens, there's been a lot of stuff has been written about it. Most people will very quickly be picked up by somebody who has already died before, and they will have a much 
uh, much gentler transition and be introduced gradually into their into their new environment. But uh, but there's still a lot of people who uh, who walk around in a blissful unawareness, you know, because reality extends, reality continues. That's the biggest thing that people don't realize, you know, and and, and it's so difficult to um, to explain. Um, the good thing is when I talk to other astral travelers, uh, they confirm, you know, my observation, and there's a consensus that that's actually taking place. And mediums as well, when mediums contact uh, their the dead people, they confirm these observations that reality continues. Right, you know? right. And I could confirm that too as well, because I mean, I've had um, out-of-body experiences when I was out-of-body, I didn't even know that I was. Because <laughs> I, I would actually recognize like the certain house that I was in. And I was like, oh, I'm even, um, you know, just wearing the same thing that I was wearing when I went to bed, you know. And the only way that I actually knew that I was out of my body was when I, my hand went through the wall. And I went, oh, okay, I'm out of my body. But when I looked in the mirror, my hair was messy. I had no shirt on, just how I am when I go to bed, you know, which is really weird. Um, but yeah, I, I can kind of confirm that. It's like, it, it's yes. it's so real. Like this whole idea that you mentioned in your book about full waking consciousness, it's very different from just your average dream, which, which is why it's so eye-opening, these types of yes. experiences, you know. And as you kind of mentioned, just even with the idea of, of mediums, I remember in your book, in this is of infinity you talked about how like one of the main sources of information about these non-physical realities you know we, we could get some of it from mediums yet you say that mediums are in a way at a disadvantage to out-of-body observers can you kind of elaborate on that yes i think mediums sort of very much rely on what they hear or what is transmitted to them you know what they see as uh, what, what they what people the, the, the people they meet or that who communicate with them, they're just relating to what they see, you know, what right. they experience, you know. Right. Unless you are unless you are a medium who sort of can switch over into the person and and can see through their eyes, you are kind of limited. When you have an out-of-body experience, of course, all your sensory perception are intact and you actually are in the environment in yeah. full in, in your full awareness, you know, and, and I mean, it's so real. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, what I do, first of all, when I have the slightest inkling that I'm, that I have an out-of-body experience, I, I do the hover test, you know. If I can take off the air, then I know I'm in an astronaut. <laughs> Sometimes it's impossible, impossible. Uh, to tell, you know, I mean, like uh, I described in my book, I was walking along Brighton Beach and enjoying uh, the beautiful sunrise and then thinking, why didn't I bring my camera, yeah. you know, yeah. and then I realized, oh, hang on a minute, where did I park, where did I put my car, where did I park, <laughs> you know, and, yeah, and yeah. while I was using and walking along in full consciousness without having the slightest inclination that I may have an out-of-body experience, it then gradually dawns on me, and then I do the, the hover test or the flying test, even to the extent that I sort of become a ballet dancer <laughs> <laughs> at my advanced age of 70 or something, yeah, you know. Yeah. But um, but yes, that's the only way to find out. And when that happens, of course, I then take full advantage of it. 
And when the experience ends, all I find is that I'm sitting in the same position in my chair meditating, you know. And while the body hasn't moved an inch, you know, I sat back in my chair opening my eyes and, and it was a, an out-of-body experience, you know, and I'm now in my chair. And, and that is incredible. I mean, uh, some things that happen during my meditation, uh, when I get into really deep states, um, you know, I get people suddenly appearing in front of me, you know, um, like one one day I had a face, I, you go through a sort of threshold, you know, which may be a momentary uh, unconscious, you know, a very brief unconscious period. And then, then I'm awake and suddenly I find, I found there's a face of a very beautiful woman right in front of me, sort of two feet but her face is covered in tattoos, but the tattoos are not static; they move. Oh. And and I'm com I was compelled to to stare at her, and she said, and, she, and then she looked at me, and she said, "Jürgen, look into my eyes. Look into my eyes. All this is real. All this is real." And I'm fully awake then, fully out of the experience. And she vanishes. And I'm suddenly in a different world, you know. And she has then completely ignited my full waking consciousness, which is not just waking consciousness, but is a super awake, alert consciousness. And when I look around, everything is clear, crystal clear and beautiful, right. you know. And there are times where you've even had like 360 vision, right? Yeah, yeah, you know. And, and it's, it's almost impossible to describe. And there are so many things that can happen, you know, uh, it's infinite. It depends really um, what state, state you are in when you are meditating, what happened before, then you meet, you know, guides, whereas maybe when you are a clairvoyant or a medium, you may just have an awareness of their presence and they have an, an identity and you relate to them and they become your companion and things like that. But it is different to actually being there. You know, it's different to, to have the actual first-hand experience. Yes, the universe is infinite. It's multidimensional. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very powerful experience. And, you know, as you were kind of mentioning uh, a while ago about how, it, like, what we experience kind of depends what we're, where we're at, you know, I guess in our state of consciousness. So, I mean, I guess we could kind of delve into that a little bit. So, like, when a person dies what exactly will determine their environment or the people that's going to surround them in the afterlife? Yes, that's a, that's a key question, really. And, and I would say uh, you are going to experience what is going on inside you, really. You know, if you are, if you are, if you are a positive, creative, loving, benevolent, kind person, then you know, there's nothing really that uh, you have to fear. In fact, I would say these type of positive feelings will open up a completely new world for you, you know, which will be so surprisingly beautiful and and rich and, and, and you know, have all the aspects you may have ever dreamt of, you know, if you, if you carry this positive attitude in your life. That's why I think it is so important to um, to 
you know, nurture spiritual or psychological hygiene, you know, that we watch, that we watch what we think, how we interact with other people, you know, how we um, relate to people, you know, and, and all these sort of things. These are very important. If we don't do that, if we sort of uh, give way to our negative sides, then of course that will be reflected in our external environment. You know, in uh, the people we meet now, you know, um, we, we are as attracted to the people normally which are, um, have some sort of relationship to our inner self, really, in, in real life. You know, and and that is that will continue if, if we, for example, are incredibly wealthy, but uh, live in a beautiful mansion and in absolute riches, fulfill our every dream. We may well carry on living like that if we have the positive, beautiful aspect in ourselves to from within, yeah, to fellow fellow human being, you know, and show a generosity in our uh, spirit, you know. But we may also experience the absolute opposite when we die, if, if we have been inspirited. And if that is our psychological makeup, we may suddenly find when we die, we live in a little shabby hovel, you know, with no vegetation and everything is dark, our house has no windows, the wallpaper is peeling off the wall. There are horrible little creatures creeping around. <laughs> and I have seen places like that. You know, I've, I've met people who couldn't get out of their mental space, which had become their, their everyday habitat, you know. And I, in my book, I, I interviewed people who made the long journey out of these states, you know, and then they, they find they had to rescue themselves and have to develop uh, their positive sides in order to progress, you know, and this is very real. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think this what you know what you're sharing is confirming a lot of my own conclusions that I've had um, regarding what happens to us after we cross over. Because you you are emphasizing that what we do here matters. I guess another way other people see it, especially um, like I guess you could say religious or some Christian folks, is you know they. They would say that some of the stuff they do here does matter, but ultimately it's about their faith in Jesus. And so uh, no matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done. You know, you could have been a, a murderer or, you know, a mass murderer, rapist, whatever, um, because God is so loving. Um, he'll mm -hmm. just welcome you with, with, you know, with forgiving and, you know, he'll be forgiving and, op you know, opening up his arms to you and stuff. So, I mean, how, how would you respond to that, that other uh, perspective that that does sound nice though at the same time like all your sins are forgiven that's what you would hear from a lot of uh, Christians who yes. emphasize a lot about the grace and the unconditional love of God which is a good message but yet your message in a, in a sense could there's some conflict there because uh, you know yes. you're emphasizing that you're no, no matter what your your deeds that you've done here kind of do still carry over you know so how would you respond to someone like that well, I would say, um, yes, I think there is the aspect of grace. You know, that is definitely a reality. There is this aspect that the higher consciousness can fill you to such an extent with, uh, with this positive energy, which may well purify 
it, you know, but it depends really very much on your identification. You know, you can't take for granted that when you are faced with your your higher self or, or God, that that is actually going to happen. You know, if you are still attached, if you are still attached to your negative atti atti attributes, you know, what happens in these moments of grace, which I wouldn't dispute, you know, when people um, have this pure impouring of, of pure bliss and love, that actually have a purifying effect on them, but they have to come, they have to experience a total detachment from it, so that every aspect of the personality is sort of released and, and infused with this divine light, you know, it, it, you can't take it for granted, you know, you, there, there are people, um, and I belong to a group of near-death experiences, uh, there are people who have this incredible near-death experience where they stood in the face of God, okay, that all have been surrounded by infinite love and given incredible outpouring of knowledge and bliss and things like that. And then they came back to their bodies and they found they were traumatized by the experience. They had to, they had to deal with it now. And suddenly they find all the old things they were before, they were still there, you know, they had to visit, you know, on a one-to-one everyday basis, you know. And I would say we may have these experiences of absolute bliss, you know, but we are infinite beings, we have got an infinite history, and, and we may have the experience of, of the love of God, and the pure light, like I had as a, as a 20 year old, you know. But after I came out of this incredible clarity and bliss, and we spent a couple of weeks there walking around in it, I had to go back. You know, I had to face, face all my inner demons, you know. And uh, it took me 40 years until it then clicked. And finally, I found, okay, my identification is no longer attached to any shadow sides. You know, I know what I am, but it's hard work. It takes a life. It's a so process. People may, yeah. Yeah, people may have the experience of God is love and things like that, but I think we are not just born here, uh, live a few years, do our bits, kill people or do whatever we are, uh, and then when we die, we automatically uh, face God and everything is forgiven. No, we have got a history which may be hundreds of thousands of years old, you know. And we, may, we may discover we are uh, multidimensional entities and an aspect of us may be liberated and freed, but other aspects may need a lot of attention and a lot more experience, you know. So, so we have got to go back um, until we, um, until we totally um, realize our true nature. And then that's what is normally referred to in Eastern philosophy as enlightenment or awakening, you know. And then, of course, when we are in the state, we then can perceive the totality of who we are, then we have no longer any issues, you know, 
and and then we continuously walk in this presence of God, you know. But but I don't believe it is a is a simple thing um, of doing whatever the hell you like. Yeah. And you find when you die, everything is forgiven and the slate is quite clean. We can have the experience, but if there is any attachment, if there are still things we feel we haven't resolved, we will have to face them, then there's no way around it. Right. We'll you know? carry it over pretty much. I mean, yeah. um, I mean, that's one of the things you often say in your book about how, you know, the moment we leave our physical body, you're... you're unconscious becomes your new reality <laughs> you know where basically what's inside is going to be re be reflected yeah. in your environment and one of the chapters that, that i found really interesting in your book was about how the the idea of like those who did commit you know commit mass murders and horrendous evils and um you know when i think about my own uh upbringing and my religious beliefs throughout the years um you know i was taught that you know you can do the worst of the worst crime but on your mm -hmm. deathbed you know you just say you know father forgive me and uh, wash all my sins away then boom you go to heaven you know because you receive jesus and stuff and so i guess what i what, why i'm having people like you on my podcast is that i'm trying to give people a different perspective because if someone does kind of carry that traditional um at least Christ christianity that i was brought up with it's like you can do whatever you want but you know and then on your deathbed you could just ask for forgiveness and boom, your slate's wiped totally clean. And so I see what you're getting at at the same time is that people do have these encounters of the quote-unquote divine or God and they experience this, this uh, you know, unconditional love and grace. But yet um, when they come back to this body, <laughs> you know, they're still dealing with their issues, that they're stuck in this physical body with all their subconscious yes. ideas and pain and all these negative things that are still there. But what was your experience you know if you don't mind me sharing of that one time you had that question about the suicide bomber um if you remember that chapter yes. do you mind sharing that yes that's very insightful yes uh, yes that's an interesting thing you see that uh, that is goes exactly to the heart of the problem what we have just been discussing because also this philosophy of everything is so wiped clean and and everything is forgiven is, is also very dangerous yeah of stance, you know, because it basically said it's what happens with people who like ISIS, you know, they they say, oh, well, uh, I do it in the name of, of God, you know, because they just don't believe and there's nothing lost if these people are killed, you know. But of course, the reality is that these people are feeling human beings, you know. Uh, so what what in reality happens that these what they do um, cr has a consequences on these people who are experiences this kind of murderous activity you know and I have seen people um, you know I've, in my book I described such a visit of these suicide bombers because I was simply uh, intrigued by the fact how far can belief take me if I really really believe in something will it actually override uh, reality reality you know fact the fact I found is that it doesn't reality is reality this reality doesn't bend to any kind of belief 
you know, reality has, has got its own laws, the same as physical reality. If you if you jump from a high building and believe in God, you still end up as as a you know <laughs> piece of paper. Yeah. Unless you're in another higher dimension, then you can fly, right? <laughs> yes, but but that's what I found, and and then I found that these people, and I, it's not just one occasion. Recently, I found I had another experience when the bombing in in London, in London, people who went berserk, uh, uh, stabbing people and killing people, you know, on London on the bridge there in London, I. Uh, I had the same experience. I saw what actually happened to these people, because they they created a feedback a feedback mechanism, you know. So so the pain they caused um, that fed back on them. The, these things don't just disappear. So they are um, the way I describe it is uh, there's an entanglement. They they entangled. They had sort of uh, created strings. To whatever their action was, to the suffering of the they created, so they attached to it. The moment you do it, you are attached to it. And and the thing is, when you die, not only do you are you confronted with it, but you actually feel it. You right. feel what yeah. these people have felt. If you deprived a mother of their child, you know you feel the pain of the mother. You know you feel the pain of the child, and there's a tremendous big horrible thing to have to face and and you cannot simply say oh god forgive me you know they, these these things are, are absolutely real and and the greatest suffering i find of these poor guys and i really feel very very sorry for them when i visited them um, the, the biggest problem is they cannot undo what they have done you know they cannot they cannot go back what's done is you done know. right What's done is done, and that's the greatest thing uh, to them where they suffer the most of, because they can't undo it, and they are confronted with it, and and they have to wait until the person is okay, becomes okay with it, and is healed, you know themselves, and they forgive you, you know, and. There are other ways, of course, with dealing with these traumas, let's say from the perpetrator's viewpoint, and I mentioned Vistas of Infinity, they can turn their life around, you know, they can turn, do the opposite, they can start uh, helping people, uh, you know, generating an aspect of, of higher um, feelings in them, like love, you know, so, so they can then heal themselves you know, they can work through these things. So, so they're not condemned by any means. You know, they can, they can create a positive energy, which, which uh, is a healing energy, you know, and gradually make amends this way. But if they don't, then, it, you know, it can take a long time. You just have to look at people who have suffered trauma in their lives, you know, let's say abused as children. It can take them a lifetime. Uh, to deal with it, you know, and and death doesn't change anything, you know. I found many, many people uh, I talked to, I mean, even in my family, for example, my mother's second husband, you know, he didn't always treat her very well, and I found there, there was still this, 20 years after they died, there's still this thing going on, there's still unresolved problems, 
And and I saw it uh, in my book. I described a woman who was betrayed by her lover, who, you know, taking all her money uh, and sort of exploited her, making her believe that he loved her. You know, I mentioned one chapter and how she was dealing with it, you know, and how this still came up as a problem. And the person who betrayed her was in a very dark place and was unable to get her forgiveness, you know. If you talk to mediums, they very often report that, you know, say things like that, oh, I've got your husband here, he's, he's trying to ask you for his forgiveness, you know. And I saw it in one seance myself, that the woman, the husband came through to the woman, he said, oh, I, I've treated you really badly, can you forgive me? And the woman in the audience said, no. Mm. <laughs> You know, hmm. she she said, I can never forgive him. What he did to me is unforgivable, you know. So these people are left in this type of limbo state. And that's why it's important that we know about these things and, and we sort of take care of our, you know, our psychological hygiene, you know, like we wash our hands every morning and brush our teeth. We have to brush our... Our, our minds and our hearts, but to uh, nurture uh, a spirit of unity, you know, of togetherness, you know, of love, you know, of goodwill, you know, these things are really, really important. Right, right. And, and I love that, that emphasis that you, you put on that, because I think a lot of people could kind of forget that, hey, you know, everything that we do here, it matters. I mean, it's not even just the act itself, but just even our thoughts. You know, just like, as, as you said, it's like this hygiene of our mind, cleaning ourselves up of we're preparing ourselves for our next life, you know, um, whatever we want to call that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm implying you would insert reincarnation into all this, you know, even just using that Eastern term, but uh, more yes. of the, the idea of, of the law of cause and effect, right? If you just want to use a more neutral term, but what we do here matters and the, the, the way does. we treat people matters. Mm -hmm. And um yeah, what, what I find so beautiful about religions, there's something, I'm, I'm not a religious person, but, but that they put, especially Christianity, they put love at the heart of, yeah. of the religion, forgive your enemy, you know, love your neighbor, you know, uh, and, and things like that. These are the key principles of, of any, any profound good religion. You know, and uh, the saints, the, the highest sort of uh, representatives of the religion, that's what they base their whole face around, of love, you know, of getting closer to God. But the only way to do that is through love, you know, because in the end of it, at the end of it, it's, uh, it's love which creates a manifestation. It's the first, the first aspect of God in manifestation. Station. This is creative love, you know, and that that's everywhere. And that if that becomes the heart of our life, it's quite simple. You know, we don't have to study, read a lot of books. Just have to focus. We have to focus on our heart, you know, and lead our life from there. And then we don't have to worry about too much. Yeah, if we all loved, there would be a lot better place in this world, you know, and. Um... You know, just speaking about what you were referring to earlier about how reality is reality, yet at the same time, beliefs kind of play a role as well um, when we're in these different dimensions, so to speak, you know. So if that's true, 
what happens to people like like an atheist, for example? You know, they don't believe, at least uh, it makes sense, right? They don't believe in life after death, that they're naturalists or whatever. Uh, what happens to people like them when they cross over? You know, reality <laughs> uh, come to their rescue or, you know, they or they will simply when they die, uh, you know, they simply are in an environment which won't look that different to what they have been uh, used to, you know. Of course, taking into consideration the inner, inner feeling, the inner life, you know, uh, that will be reflected in, in their environment. But there's no difference, you know. They may not have uh, any concepts about it, but they uh, still uh, experience reality, you know, in, in their own particular way. You don't have to believe in the life after death. The same as you don't have to believe in life itself because life just happens the moment you are born, you know, and the afterlife happens the moment you die. Uh, there's no difference. That's, that's so trippy. Yeah, I mean, that's just something I've noticed in a lot of the things that I've read of, of people who, I mean, even, even including in your book, you know, of just people who when they've died, quote unquote, it's like they don't even know that they're dead. You know, they're still wearing the same clothes, <laughs> you know, seeing people with just normal looking clothes, they look normal. So it's like they have no idea that they've even passed away and so that that's how real these experiences and physical they can be you know and you were mentioning about like love is the the greatest thing and i've had a good number of um obes throughout the years and you know i've been i've seen the whole astral plane and i've seen places that look just like my home here and um but i know you also encourage people like you know to transcend Kind of and move mm. beyond just the astral levels because um, mm. sometimes to be honest even in my own obes they're very neutral feelings so like when i was growing up and yes. i would read books about people who have near-death experiences it's always like wow you know they saw they they felt god unconditional and you know they knew they, they had a lot of knowledge so i always thought ndes were like that and but i've had some obes of a different variety at times it's just like some of them are very normal <laughs> very neutral i'm just like hanging out at my house or i'm outside to some that were so emotional you know where i'm just like crying and just because of yes. the unconditional love that i can feel but i'll be honest i i did love a lot of those experiences where it did feel like i was in this higher higher dimension not to discount that i didn't have any interesting experiences in just the you know what we would call the astral levels but how does one transcend and move beyond, you know, the, the astral levels. Yes, that's a, that's an interesting question, really, because I found um, I would call these levels uh, the non-egoic states. You know, where the where the attachment to the identification, the selfish aspect or the self-identification that has to somehow uh, be surrendered in some way. So we can't take, it's a bit like uh, going for a swim with lead boots on, you know. You can't sink, okay. And these, these um, identifications with, with our role, our old self, they have to, they have to be uh, surrendered in some way. So we have to work on that. And the only way to do that is we have to transcend it by, uh, you know, getting rid of our, our our shadow you know we have got to become friends with our 
darker aspect so that they do no longer trouble us so that just let it go you know and and then of course the step into the the higher dimension to pure spiritual dimension where the ego attachment is no longer the uh, apparent uh, then we become come into an area where uh, which feels like like a homecoming you know there's a, a another self of us which we haven't been aware of and i remember very clearly during one meditation um, i went into this state and and it's always like it can always it can take so many different forms when you transcend the astral level and get into the higher spiritual levels it can an infinite number of different forms. In one particular thing, I found I was sort of floating. I was floating on my body, and I suddenly realized there was a new me. You know, and it was waiting in the wings, but this new me had always has always been there. And I suddenly felt, oh, oh hang on, who, what, what is this? What is this new me? And the old me suddenly felt sort of redundant, and I still was this old me with all my identification with my ego issues, you know. But this new me that was so compelling and so powerful and so radiant, so that I in the end I surrendered this old thing. It was almost like casting off a, a heavy coat, you know. And I suddenly said, Oh, oh that's what I am. You know, that's, that's my real that's that was just an illusion, you know. And I quite easy then to transcend into this this pure uh, me and with that of course uh, the whole surrounding the whole environment becomes radiant and beautiful and it's my home I know everything you know and of course then uh, then the real adventure really begins because our perception changes you know we, we suddenly there's no distinction between what we see and what we are. You know, the more we see a beautiful flower on, on the wayside, the moment we're seeing it, we're experiencing it, we can just in an instant become the flower and feel the joy of the flower. You know, a whole range of new experience start to open up, uh, which is totally something which we haven't been able to do because we had this ego self, which had a had its own identification, which put up a barrier between what we are and, and what we see on the outside world, you know. And these sort of things, they, they start to uh, fall away. And then, of course, as a consequence, it, a completely new and incredibly magnificent world begins to open up for us, you know. And, and, and I think that's why you also emphasize a lot on meditation, because you benefit a lot from it these days, you know, because you would, you would tell me about how you've been having these OBEs for many years, but yet that's not really your, your focus. Um, but you do meditate a lot. So, I mean, what are some closing words you could share about the benefits of meditation? Yes, well, meditation, I always describe meditation as coming home, you know. And to me now, it is simply remembering or simply uh, being, you know, is, is what I I don't try to achieve anything. I'm just trying to connect to the reality of the moment, you know, and and to reside in in what is, and that's a beautiful thing because there's nowhere to go, 
And um, so that's basically my meditation. I mean, for example, I mentioned in, at another point uh, when I focus on the light, people sometimes when they meditate, uh, they imagine a light, you know, inside the head. And, and what I do is I, I don't imagine the light, I take the position of the light, I'm already the light. And the consequence is of this type of meditation, I, I, I simply became, become aware of my radiance. You become it, you are it. Yes, I am then the light, I don't have to focus on it. I already know I am the light. There's no distinction between me and an, an otherness, you know. And of course, that, that if you carry this kind of meditation from the heart, your, your base, because the base level of reality is, is simply joy and bliss, you know. And the heart is the quickest connection to this joy and bliss. So if you make the... Uh, your heart, feeling of your heart, the foundation of your meditation, you know, and bring this joy or this love element into your meditation, and then, then simply nurture the feeling of being, you know, that you don't have to go anything, uh, then, then to me that is the best meditation you can have. And then, of course, you can carry it out of your room into your daily life. And I went uh, earlier this year, I went with a friend of mine to visit various monasteries in, in Greece. And I found the monks there, uh, they, um, they were very good at practicing mindfulness. You know, they were very aware of what they were doing. There was a woman selling the brochures in the monastery, of the monastery. She did this in a very deliberate, conscious way. She wrapped it up. Everything was carried by an an aspect of her loving doing it, you know, awesome. so beautiful. Yeah, you know, no matter how she was cleaning up around the candles, the dust, she did in such conscious, loving way. You, I, I felt such an affection for this lady. You, know, uh, there was nothing wasted. She just, they swept the floor, uh, you know, and it was this conscious awareness, as if there was as if they were brushing um, the skin of God. This is how it, you know, everything, everything where they were, it was a holy environment. You know, that was the most full experience I had from these nuns and the monks. They were very aware. I, I have never been a Christian, but this, going into these, into these very old traditional Christian uh, monasteries, it opened my eyes, you know, and I, I realized, yeah, that's true Christianity. You know, at work, you know, you do everything from a position of love. And and to me, that is meditation, you know, if you can build our life around the, the, uh, the respect for, for life itself, for other people, for our environment, and so on. That's, yeah, that's meditation to me. That's a beautiful message. It's just a reminder for all of us, too, to just remember to be aware you know, and to see the sacredness in everything that we do, no matter how how simple <laughs> we may think something is, um, we could always find beauty in it, and just and just uh, in the matter of being, you know. And, yes. uh, you know. So, what's next for you these days? Are well, you I, writing anything, or well, at the moment, I, I've um, I'm going through uh, a lot of changes because. Um, 
awakening. I, I had this incredible experience uh, in 2013, which resulted in my book, The Ten Minute Moment. I since then that awakening is an is an ongoing process, you know, and there are stages of awakening. And, and we went to a friend and I went to these monasteries. Uh, both of us, we discovered there's an there's an there's another level to it. And when we went to these monasteries, I never expected that these monks who are very rooted in a very powerful Christian tradition, I never expected that they could possibly, in my little arrogance, you know, of many, that they could possibly teach me anything. I was very, very quickly convinced just by watching some of these people that they have an lot you know, to give. But you don't have to be a monk. Um, I, I had the same experience when I was in hospital. A nurse was teaching me enough, you know. By, uh, I had the most incredible experience. And, and yes, I think there's an awful lot we can learn from other people. And, uh, and, and we've got to be humble, you know, and, be, and to learn, to take on. We, we never stop learning. You know, there's no such thing as uh, as awakening, and that's it. Right, right. <laughs> that's, that's only just beginning. We're only just starting off, you know. And I discovered there there are so many levels to awakening, and so I I don't uh, I don't know where it's going to take me. I can feel there may be a lot of other things that that make result in some written work, but I I can't be sure. Because now I'm finding things are moving in ways I don't even want to control, you know, because because they have a, a momentum of their own, you know, and that's beautiful. I mean, I've just turned seventy, and I feel my life is only just beginning. Oh, it's awesome! It's beautiful. You know, I, I just really appreciate, you know, your work and um, and your humility. You know, just reading your books and seeing how you engage with other people online and um your talks i i just i'm very grateful for you and uh you know how i just want you know how, let my listeners know how can they keep in touch with you what's your website well i, I i've got a facebook presence um that's probably the easiest way uh, i finding i finding it hard sometimes to respond to to all, i get I sometimes get a lot of emails and i have to apologize to people that i can't always sort of respond Oh, but I always read. I always read every everything that has been sent to me. But I, I sometimes find uh, a spam folder full <laughs> of messages. Never, you gotta check that once in a while. <laughs> they're going back a year. Say, oh, I could have written. Oh, I feel yeah. To, That's happened to me you know, too. Really, uh, so, and quite guilty, really. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I try to uh, sort of. This my feeling. I, I try to make up for it, and I'm hoping that you know something happens anyway. You know, but but yeah, I mean, Facebook. I try to um, not to spread myself too wide. Uh, but you do um, have a website, the, the multidimensional man. Yeah, multidimensional man, man is probably the, my main website. You know, but, uh, a lot of stuff there. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. There's stuff there which touches on all sorts of aspects of it, you know. So that's probably the best way, really, to get in touch. Cool, yeah. So, 
Hey guys, be sure to check out Jurgen's books. Uh, once again, Multidimensional Man, uh, The 10 Minute Moment, and Vistas of Infinity on Amazon.com. And uh, you got to get those on Kindle. <laughs> uh, but if you oh, like yeah, it. So I'm just in the process. Oh, good, good. Yeah, because, you know, we're pretty limited here in the Philippines, man. So it's like, yeah, it was, it was kind of hard to, to get your other books. So, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it being in a Kindle format. So, yeah, so you guys check out, check out his books. Um, and if you like this show, you want to help keep it going, you guys, go to patreon.com slash Joshua Tongle. And once again, if you got just two minutes, folks, just uh, write a review on iTunes. That would really help a lot because it'll help more people discover the show and help spread this knowledge. So, of course, also share this interview with your friends. Really appreciate this interview, Jurgen. Really good stuff, good insights. And yeah, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking to you, Jeff. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, guys, once again, thanks for listening. And I'll catch you guys on the flip side. I'm out. Peace. Peace.